Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt here with Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Thanks so much for tuning back in. It has been a fantastic week, and I would like to begin by saying I apologize for the delay in uh, getting podcast release. Of course, here with the holidays, Matt and I have been both extremely busy. We've had a lot going on, but thanks so much for tuning back in, and we're really happy to be back in LLP, and we're going to break in and really dip our toes in the water, and today we're going to be talking about famous conspiracy theories. And we're going to be breaking down what is a conspiracy theory, what are the modern connotations that relate to us uh, with these types of things, what does it mean for us, and let's talk about some of the most famous ones, and some not so famous ones maybe that you haven't heard of. Of course, we can't go through all of them because there's so many different conspiracy theories that have been shared and, uh, and spread uh, throughout the years, uh, but we will get into some really popular ones, some fun ones here, and, uh, and get into it. Before we get started, I would like to thank the show sponsor here today, and that is Ballistic Inc. Definitely go over and pick yourself up an awesome new t-shirt. We've got a ton of great gear, um, some great designs. You can help some of your favorite content creators. Just go check their store out. If you want to support your favorite content creators, that's a great way that you can do so and get yourself some great merch uh, there in the process. So check out Ballistic Inc. You'll see a link down in the description box below. And uh, tell them LLP sent you over. That's right. right. Man, how's it going? You know, like you said, the end of the year, we're all just trying to wrap up all the stuff needed to end the year out correctly. Lots of talking with the CPA, just trying to get everything ticked and tied. I mean, it... 2022 has been an absolute ride. I mean, a lot of things took place. I know that you had your, uh, what was it, 10th annual uh, range day that took place. Um, I didn't get to make that. I wish I did, but, um, you know, between all the different businesses that we run and the joint ventures between everybody... It's it's very, very time-consuming, and I know that we try to get in here as much as we can to cut these episodes, and I'm excited because today's going to be a very, very fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We're going to go down the rabbit hole, and you know, it. it's one of those things where when you look at this term conspiracy theory, you know, it has a lot of negative connotations with it, and uh, we're going to kind of talk about that. So just the textbook definition, what is a conspiracy theory? A belief that some secret but influential organization is responsible for an event or phenomenon, okay, um, such as many things that we're going to discuss. And generally, what happens with conspiracy theories is that it's the science fiction of ideas, right? When you look at science fiction from the 50s, all right, and you go, all right, what were they thinking was super futuristic and unobtainable at the time? And then you you wind up saying, okay, well, they had flying cars or they had little tiny watches that had, you know, radios in them and computers or what they viewed as some communication device, right? Or like something like that. And you think, well, back then they viewed that as so futuristic and so outlandish, right? But what do we have now, right? You've got your smart watch. You've got a supercomputer in your hand, okay? So sometimes... Science fiction becomes science fact given enough time and enough resources that us as humans put into these thoughts to make it a reality. And conspiracy theories are not unlike that idea, right? You know, they start out as a, well, you know, if it, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Enough people latch onto a concept and say, something don't seem right about this. And then this person starts feeling that way and that person starts feeling that way. And before you know it, you have an entire group of people that are devoted to and laboring under the idea that, okay, the narrative we've been told about this specific idea, you know what? There are so many signs that point to that not being correct and that not being right. And that's where these conspiracy theories um, become founded in. And I think the term conspiracy theory was always used by the alphabet agencies as a negative connotation, like a derogatory term. term. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. But, but really, if you just disagree, with anything they say, that's that's just the label that they put on you, and and it's it's always had this sort of negative connotation to label you as a tinfoil hat wearing, um, 
you know, person who is highly um, skeptical of anything that you're being told from some official narrative. Now, when we look at everything that's happened in the last, especially 10 or 20 years, but really the last, even the last five years, right? How many times have you been told something by mainstream media or any talking head or pundit or any other person um, that is very well known that just parrots all these ideas and then it wind up being factually untrue, misleading, right? Or proven to be completely bullcrap, right? So after a while, conspiracy theory, you know, more times than not, almost always kind of becomes fact. Like these these things start to surface and it's like the lie is convenient. Yeah. The lie works for a while, right? The lie is a vehicle under which they can influence people. And maybe they know that that lie and the way it's packaged, that it's eventually going to be refuted and torn apart and found to be untrue. But time is the ultimate enemy of lies. And over time, the lie becomes either irrelevant to a group of people who might have found relevance in the original conspiracy theory or in the passage of time. Enough time has passed that the people that were involved in those events are either not around anymore, they're dead, or they've moved on and, and changed their identity, or maybe society just didn't place any more importance in that conspiracy theory planning out. So after a while, once the, 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 the nerves have calmed down on that, they go, well, yeah, this is what happened. And yeah, we lied, and we don't care that you know. And that's the issue. That's kind of where we're at now with a lot of these things. Well, that and that's that was the plan from the beginning was to put off, put off, put off, put off until it was more palatable. By nature, when people say, "Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist," there again, like you said, that's there's a negative connotation around that. That doesn't necessarily mean just because you believe one particular thing as a conspiracy theory doesn't mean that you just automatically believe everything is all conspiracy theories are true like there's things that i believe that truly are conspiracy theories but if you said oh so you also think the earth is flat like well obviously no like this is not how it works but, but some people do believe but that. you're getting you're getting lumped into that whole genre of like quote, conspiracy theorists, you're just going to believe all conspiracy theories. Sure. Um, that's not the case. Um, and I just wanted to touch back on when you said like they, they try to prolong the, prolong the theory so long that everybody is gone and then it, it com it's resurfaces and then it's not a big deal. Um, I know we didn't plan on talking about it. I'm just going to use that as an example. Um, the, the laptop, the Biden's son's laptop that's exactly what happened. They like pushed it, pushed it. They're like, oh no, it's it's a propaganda, it's a theory, it doesn't exist. And then when it's convenient and it doesn't matter anymore, all of a sudden, oh yeah, that was real. It's like they're like, trying to expend that political capital. Like they yep. know that the lie has a tremendous amount of political capital attached to it that can further the goals of these people. But there's a half life to the damage that it can do. And that half-life had already passed. Right, right. So it didn't, now it's no yeah. longer damaging. Yep. So it doesn't matter what yep. anyone knows. So it didn't matter. It just came out. Um, but yet all the people who knew it was true and, and, you know, knew about it and talked about it got blacklisted, censored. Oh, Some of their sure. accounts got shut and down. And the gone. same thing with the coof and all that, which we're not even going to dare talk about any of that. But the same thing with the whole, the way they dealt with the coof. Yeah. The same thing, right? All these people, oh, you, you, parroted this, you know, misinformation. You did this, you did that. And then once all the dust settles and the political capital of the lie is done, then it's like, oh yeah, well, by the way, by the way, you and know, then just, it just moves on. And, and that's just, a, they deal in lies. And that's, that they have to lie, you have to tell multiple lies to, to prop up the big lie. And this is weird, this this weird thing that all humans have come to accept and just deal with is that the hardest thing to do as a person is to change your beliefs or change somebody else's beliefs. So when you have someone that's like, well, I don't believe it. I don't believe that theory. It doesn't matter how much evidence you put forth, how much evidence the government puts forth. They're never going to change their mind. They're never going to change their belief in what it is that you're talking about. And, it's like this unspoken rule like that that's okay. We accept it because we're human. We say, well, you know what? That's just the way they are. But 
it and that works on a personal level like if i'm a, if i'm friends with you know joe schmo and i'm like well that's okay he's a nice guy and that's just the way he is that's his beliefs and i'm fine with that but when once that steps into the political realm and it has ramifications on my freedom then we have an issue because i don't want somebody that's making decisions on my behalf in washington or even at the state level to have a belief system that is non-refutable even with clear evidence put forth. Yeah, especially when they continuously say the same lie over and over and over again, knowing dang well some of the things that they're, that they're going hard on are just that, that the facts are not on their side. And, and that's the issue. It's like I think, I think a lot of people are really logical. I really want to believe that, right? I want to believe that people are logical, that people can look at the facts and make their own decisions, that people want to seek out the truth, that they want to, you know, find the information in the most, you know, non-biased way that they possibly can and come to a conclusion based on absorbing and and and, and analyzing all the available facts, right. all the avail- available data, all the available documentation, anything that can support or refute uh, the idea at hand. Now, I do want to believe that the majority of people are very logical. You know, when we look at the political, you know, seesaw, of ideas where you've got extreme left, extreme right, and you've got all of these political factions that are warring over uh, your mind. Like it's a it's a it's a war of ideas, right? So it's it's a constant war for your soul. It's a constant war for your approval. It's a constant war for your vote. It's a constant war to control the ideas in your mind and to control the words and the oxygen. You know, like control the words coming out of your mouth, the air in your lungs. You know, it, it's just that's what it's all about because ultimately control is power. Right. And, and power is what a lot of these people ultimately want to hold on to is, is the idea of, of being able to control people's thoughts. And, and that's really where this stuff kind of comes down to. Well, not to change subjects, but I'm just going to touch on it because I heard one word in there that just kind of made me want to talk about it when you said vote. Um, and I know we're just coming off the, the election cycle here locally here in Georgia. Georgia passed uh, some pretty what they some reform voting laws where it was supposedly supposed to make it harder to vote. And I I just wanted to say that I live right next to my polling station, and when they had early voting, I had never seen lines that long, which is good because that means people were out there voting. And in early voting, you can vote anywhere. There's, you don't have to go to your precinct. So that was the beautiful thing about early voting was you, people were just voting when they're at work. They're going to the, the precinct by their work. And then when it went to regular voting, um, there still wasn't any lines. It was like I waited two minutes to go in and, and cast my vote. Nice. But I know it's off, off, sub, off subject, but I just wanted to say that I was very happy to see that people were out there voting in the amount uh, of people that they were because you don't usually see it like that so it was awesome i liked it so let's break into uh, yes. some sorry guys theories. i didn't mean to get off on that uh, tangent but no that's, worries <laughs> I, I just so, wanted to say that we're going to go over some of the probably most common conspiracy theories um just to this will really drive the point home because i know a lot of these you've probably heard of if you know about the term conspiracy theory if you know about these ideas you've certainly heard of these so let's just um let's talk about okay the moon landings, okay? One conspiracy theory is that the moon landings were fake. That a film crew filmed it on a movie set and we didn't actually go to the moon. Now, there's some things to suggest that that could be true. And there's things to, you know, there's always going to be the evidence that people are going to put forth. Usually with a conspiracy theory, especially a long-standing conspiracy theory, you're either going to have a group of people that have all of this empirical evidence to deny the truth of the theory or to prove the truth of the theory. And each of them are all going to claim that they've got uh, the red herring, you know, they, they, they got, they've got the, the, the gotcha moment, you know, in there that, that really proves or denies the theory. And you've got people on all sides that are going to really huddle into their corner and really throw mud at each other over these hotly contested conspiracy theories. So it's kind of strange. You look at the moon landings. Um, I mean, I don't want this to be a super long story, but I'll just say that I'm a really big fan of Stanley Kubrick. All right? He's a very, very good director. I love Stanley Kubrick. And boy, I could I could do quite an episode on, on Stanley Kubrick. 
He was such a brilliant guy. And with Kubrick, he was doing a lot of things filming-wise that were very cutting-edge. Not only angles, but lighting. The film Barry Lyndon, you know, was lit with, with candles, right? Natural lighting that you would have seen in those days. And, and back then, you know, it was really hard to light a shot like that and get good focus and, and every, you know, like using such low lighting. You had to have some very specialized lenses to film that. Okay? And, and from my understanding, the lenses that were used in, in, in that film were some really fancy NASA lenses. And of course, because he's Stanley Kubrick, he can borrow them, you know. So it's like, again, this is the, the conspiracy thought side of, the, of this theory where you say, well, did Kubrick owe NASA one from Perhaps. borrowing these multi-million dollar lenses that were like two in the world at the time or something to, you know, for his various film projects? Right. What else did Stanley Kubrick do? Like 2001: Space Odyssey, obvious, you know, probably one of the most beautifully filmed science fiction movies ever put to film. Okay, there's a lot of cutting edge things. You know, he did some clever camera angles, some beautiful lighting, and what did what did Stanley Kubrick also do in 2001: Space Odyssey? He showed the reality of what space was like. Space is quiet, dark. It's dark, cold. It's lonely. It's cold, and I and 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 in that in that movie, you really get you 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 are drawn to the isolation of how isolated he is, just him and Hal, you know. And and there's a loneliness in that. And I think that when you look at a filmmaker and what a filmmaker can make you have the emotions that you have, the 2001: Space Odyssey is not really a science fiction film as much as it's it's really a horror film in a lot of ways. Stanley always found the horror in situations, right? So someone who understands the film, you know, okay, think about what this guy did. I mean, that's a great film. So if you had to fake the moon landings and you had to find the person to fake the moon landings, Stanley Kubrick was totally your guy at the time. He was the most qualified to fake the moon landings. He understood the lighting with the fancy lenses as far as I know, from what I, I was told at one point, that he borrowed lenses from NASA. So it was like, all right, did he owe NASA one? Maybe. Okay. Did he understand how to make space look frightening and real? Yes. Totally. Did he understand the lighting? I mean, it, it's just like all those signs kind of point to like Stanley Kubrick faking the, the moon landings. So that's an example of me saying, all right, here are these these facts and conjectures that prove a conspiracy theory true. Now, are those things true? Heck, I don't know. It's a conspiracy theory. I mean, that's why it's a conspiracy theory. Now, there's a whole other group of people that would give a totally different side of that to try and prove that, oh, you're full of crap. There's no way they faked it. They're on the moon. Look at them, you know, so. Well, look at it this way, okay? In, in that time period. So, a, a good example is that if you think about when you go to YouTube now and you look at all of these, like, camping videos hiking videos like the survivor man probably one of the most well-known guys that, do, that started doing this survivor man les strout when they film they have to film everything twice so in the real world when you're hiking let's say the appalachian trail and you want to catch that that scene of you know you walking down the trail and the camera camera b is catching you walking you had to do that two times one you had to go all the way down there and place the camera walk all the way back to the point you want to start shooting shoot and then go back and get the camera it mm -hmm. is a tremendous amount of work i don't think people understand how much work goes into those types of productions because you're doing it by yourself you don't have a cameraman that's with current technology now rewind it back to the 60s buzz aldrin did say by his own admission on the conan o'brien show hey some of that was animated there is no way with the technology that they were going to be able to catch. There is who, how are you going to place the camera outside of the space shuttle and catch them coming out of the space shuttle if you'd never been there before? Well, I've, I've seen, I've seen some, some situations where like they said they put like a camera on a tripod and like, and went and like 
re reenacted. That's what I was told. So they, were, they reenacted. No, they did show. They did shoot some of it on a stage to show the beginning because all you heard was audio. All you heard was when you heard, um, you know, Armstrong say, oh, "This is one small step." Like so, they're playing an animation of them getting out of the of the of the landing module for that, but. All of the actual like walking on the moon, that's legit. That's real because they had the camera with them at the time, but there's just no way for them to set that up as they're coming out. So I get it. So some of it was done like to make sure that everything went smoothly, but we cannot deny that they made it to the moon. There is a, there's like multiple lunar like, like modules. There's a little buggy up there. You can see this stuff from Earth, man. <laughs> like you can see it. True. So, I mean, I don't Do you think, think it, we really landed on the moon. A hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent. Let's talk about some time frames real quick and we got to move on. We, we can't spend a lot more time on, on moon landings, but look, anytime we get to discuss Stanley Kubrick, I'm on, I'm in there. 2001 space odyssey was released in 1968. The moon landings occurred July 16th, 1969. So that correlates the dates of them knowing like how good of a science fiction guy he really was. I mean, 2001 Space Odyssey was a, was a, a hit movie. It's I mean, it was, like, it was classic. very cutting edge. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, for my benefit, okay, I was incorrect on Barry, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon was filmed in 1975, and that's a Kubrick film as well. Now, maybe NASA owed him at that point. <laughs> well, it's very similar to, yeah. you know, like Top Gun. Like, yeah. how do you think? Tom Cruise was able to get into the modern day fighters with the Navy. It's because he did so much with the original film. They basically, he had an IOU. They had an IOU with him. And he said, Hey man, all those recruiting numbers from the 1980s up until now came from top gun, the original movie you owe me. So now when he goes back to do part two, they let him do whatever he wants. Hey, you want F-18s? Get them. You That's want right. you want to get on the carrier? You want to you want to be in the planes when you go off the catapult? Go for it, man. All right. So related, just as a, as to give you an idea. All right, Barry Lyndon, nineteen seventy five. This is just coming from Wikipedia. This is good information. Kubrick was determined not to re- reproduce the set bound, artificial lit look of other costume dramas from that era. After tinkering with different combination of lenses and film stock. The production obtained three super-fast 50-millimeter lenses made by Carl Zeiss, their Planar 50-millimeter with an f-stop of 0.7, developed by Zeiss for use by NASA in the Apollo moon landings, which Kubrick had discovered. Did Kubrick discover that? Or did Kubrick get a call from NASA and go, hey, I heard you're trying to film a low-light film. We can help. Thanks for the help back in the 60s. We owe you one. Mm -hmm. Again, Classic conspiracy theory. It's anyone's game. Like with that, the moon landings will be a conspiracy theory from here till kingdom come. <laughs> I love it. That's a great conspiracy theory. It really it is. It is interesting that when we landed, we never really went back for like years and years. Wouldn't you and think years. we'd go back? And yeah. Like, wouldn't the technology now be so much better that wouldn't there be political capital in, in revisiting the moon? Well, it's interesting that you don't see other countries. Like, there's been a few other countries that have landed on the moon, but I don't think they've put like astronauts on the moon, which is weird. These are all other super superpowers. Yeah. And you don't see them, you know, propagandizing, propagandizing. Any propaganda with them, with astronauts jumping up on the moon and running around, having lunar landers and like little go karts running around. Yeah, maybe it's just really expensive to put stuff. Oh, I mean, like crazy expensive. Think think about how much money it costs to to go back and resupply the uh, International Space Station. Well, we can ask. Right, I mean, like that costs a lot of money, (laughs) and that's in low Earth orbit, right? Like it's it's you know it's in orbit versus having to go to the moon and back. I mean, I would imagine that would get pretty expensive if you were trying to supply a moon base. And I guess, think about it, like, what would be the real reason to have some permanent infrastructure on the moon when the scientific discoveries that someone is trying to make from space could probably still be handled in the International Space Station and have a shorter resupply route? I mean, I'm just trying to think of the fiscal reasons. I mean, it's probably expensive to go to the freaking moon and back. I'm actually very surprised we don't have a physical structure 
like base on the moon. At least some scientific, uh, you know, instruments to collect data. You which know, I, I think the astronauts base. left collection instruments on the moon, on the moon landings. Yeah. But I think that they they like overheated or something, or stopped working, or got covered with dust, yeah. or you know, something like that. Of course, again, we could talk about the moon landings all day long because I'm I'm really interested in that. But let's talk about something else that's really um, popular in the news right now. And this is a this is a sensitive subject. Um, this is John F. Kennedy's assassination. All right, this is probably one of the most famous American conspiracy theories there is, and there's a lot of information floating around right now. Like Tucker Carlson just did this big show uh, uh, and talked about the CIA having you know previous knowledge of Kennedy's assassination or or at least having contact with Oswald or people close to the situation that had carnal knowledge of the situation. And the implied idea would be that, you know, to take it on the extreme level would say that, all right, the conspiracy theory would be that not only is the assassination of John F. Kennedy a huge conspiracy, but now with this new information coming out, they're saying that the CIA was not only involved, but orchestrated the assassination. Because John F. Kennedy had pissed a lot of people off in those days. He I mean, would, like he was making a lot of people mad. Yeah, and he was really establishing the stat or um, challenging the status quo on a lot of different things. He was not playing ball. He was not listening. He was not being obedient to his handlers. And then what do they do? I mean, that's pretty scary. When you unpack Matt, just the original John F. Uh, Kennedy assassination uh, conspiracy theory. That is enough to unpack right there. That's a whole hour-long discussion. You could do, you know, there's entire documentaries about um, Kennedy's assassination. But now you add this other wrench into the idea of, oh, this, you know, dark big brother alphabet agency having carnal knowledge of it and doing either, either they had carnal knowledge that was going to happen and did nothing to stop it, knowing that the political capital that would result from his death would be positive and that, that, that they needed. Or the extreme side of that would be that, B, they actually orchestrated, planned, and executed the assassination. And that right there is a bombshell. Like, why is it everybody talking about that? Again, and that comes down to them pushing down and suppressing all information for a very long time. Look how long it took for them to even acknowledge. Because it was always a conspiracy. You had multiple... You know, TV shows, multiple investigative uh, shows try to recreate what happened. You know, the whole magic bullet theory and, you know, it couldn't have been just one guy and it was multiple people and it was yeah, different angles. Yeah. And-, and, you know, he just happened to, because he was supposed to have the bubble, like, the you know, the Pope has the little Pope mobile that's bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was supposed to have the bubble over the convertible and at the last minute, you know, the decision was made not to use the bubble. And it was, it's like so many different moving parts that sort of just aligned in the, just the right way. The shot itself, I mean, that's pretty good. I don't know a lot of people that would be able to pull that succession of shots from that distance, from that angle on a moving target with that weapon. It was just under 90 yards. Three shots. In succession, 90 yards from a bell tower on a moving target. I don't know if you've ever felt the action on a Carcano. Grab that Carcano down there. See, it's got the the strippers hanging out the top of it. Just pull those off. Grab that Carcano. Now, this this gun is a troop special, uh, which is a, a shorter version of the gun that Oswald used. But this is a Carcano. And I don't know if you've ever worked a Carcano bolt, but they're not the smoothest things in the world. It's not a mouser. So, all right, look. Um, she's empty. I'm going to dry fire it. I mean, I don't know. With a little bit of practice, you know, you could you could get three shots off. You know, maybe if you did the infield thing and did this number. I mean, with some practice... You could get three shots off pretty quick. Oh, you but, could, but could you get it on target? On a, I mean, yeah, 
using an hit optic. He's the Carcano's not- never been known for its smooth bolt. I mean, this one's not too bad, but I actually need to make a video on this rifle. I haven't done it yet. But the firearm used is an odd choice for an assassin. Mm-hmm. A professional assassin. <laughs> a professional and, assassin. Well, but, but, but here's the thing. If, if Oswald shot Kennedy and it's just that cut and dry, what if it really was just a pissed off guy who bought a Sears bolt action Carcano and just decided to do something evil? What if there's really no conjecture or conspiracy involved? It was just a guy being an evil guy. Because if the CIA was involved, would they have given him some professional sniper rifle or something? But maybe that was the whole idea to make it look like, yeah, dude just ordered a... So what you're saying is they're smarter back then than they are now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe they purposely gave him like just a yeah. cheap bolt gun just to make it look like he was some nobody. Yeah, not not a not a Daniel Defense. Well, he, he was trained by the Marine AR. Corps on how to shoot. Oswald was for sure. I just want to say before we go too much further in in the in the conspiracy theory of the assassination of Kennedy is that you are talking about a man's life, okay? And it's tragic. You know, Kennedy was loved by so many people. And, um, you know, he was a Democrat, but he was a different breed of Democrat. It's not like the Democrats you see nowadays. Like, the kind of Democrat that he was, he was he was one of those kind of anomalies, you know. But uh, it, it what happened to John Kennedy is tragic. And uh, any time a sitting president is assassinated or, or a sitting representative or, you know, hell, anyone. It's always tragic to see those types of things pan out. And and look, in World War II, John Kennedy did some really heroic stuff. He saved a lot of people. He saved a lot of service members' lives. And, you know, he served in the war. I mean, it's just a different breed of people back then, okay? And I feel like John Kennedy was, was definitely cut from a different cloth of what modern Democrats are cut from. And I don't mean to make that political, but it's 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 just weird how when someone thinks oh some political figure you know gets assassinated gets shot or something like that and they go well it was a it was a democrat so we don't care but you know it still an american you know like he was a, he he had his nocturnal misforgivings yes i mean and we won't even get started with Marilyn Monroe well that was one of the things that that really kind of kicked this whole thing off you should say because he was a sitting president it was very well known what was going on he was married um and i mean at the time i'm not i'm gonna say jacqueline kenny was no slouch she was very attractive for you know if you would say oh you have jacqueline kennedy in her prime and you also have marilyn monroe in her prime sitting america sitting president married Stepping outside of the bounds of his marriage doesn't look good for for America, and he's representing America. He didn't want to play ball with Cuba, he like with the Bay of Pigs and all that. So he is the reason that they did not get the air support that they the U.S. government wanted to go in. They orchestrated the whole thing of like placing uh, at the time I believe it was placing Fidel Castro into power. America has a really bad habit of putting things in power and then getting the hand slapped later. But well, when we do want people out of power, we're quite good at that as oh, well. Oh, yeah. We get Look them right at out Gaddafi, of there. We yeah. get them right out of <laughs> get here. Get them out of there. That's one thing Hillary did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you, you that. Gaddafi out of here, didn't she? Yeah. Um, so they had the whole plan set up. They were ready to go and they needed the air power and he held it back. And we all know the rest is history. So they, he, all he had to say was give them the air support to go in, strafe the beach. Those guys can go in and do their job. They didn't get it done. We know how that went. That didn't work out. Bay of Pigs was a fiasco. And that was under his watch. He was the one that decided that didn't work out. And I think the government had some resentment for that. That there, was the government's plan. There are some stories that get lost to time. Mm-hmm. And conspiracy theories, the best conspiracy theories are the ones that not only stand up to the test of time, but also in spite of time, right? There are not many people alive today 
that can definitively say, oh, I remember turning on the news or reading a paper about Bay of Pigs or about John F. Kennedy's assassination or how many people could say I was there on the day it happened. So time can can heal wounds and it can also like continuously open the wound in a lot of ways. And John F. Kennedy, despite you know, what anybody wants to say about Kennedy, he was a loved person. He was well-respected. The nation loved him. He was charismatic. And, you know, no matter what you believe about how he led as a leader, you know, sometimes a leader's charisma he was very is almost charismatic. a little more important than what they actually even do. Right? I mean, why do nations even have leaders if not Good a point. reason to kind of put someone on a pedestal and go, that's our guy. This is like, the face. Yes, this know? is our face. And and for for lack of, of any of his shortcomings in the way that he handled his nocturnal affairs or any of the shortcomings in terms of how he led as a leader, one thing was clear, he was loved. Yeah. And people don't forget that. And that's why Kennedy's assassination is so close to so many people's hearts because they it's gut-wrenching. Like they remember how terrible they felt to hear that their president was 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 killed by an assassin. I mean, imagine how terrible that is. Well, I mean, he had he's one of those I have visited that, his grave, by the way. Yeah, I, well, I think we did when we went up to mm-hmm. we went to we went to Washington. Yeah, yep. the Eternal Flame. Yeah, it's yeah. not far from Audie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. So you go you so you go back behind where the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is, and Audie Murphy's not not far back behind there, like literally right right next to the little turnaround cul-de-sac mm-hmm. behind the the little. I guess it's like a little coliseum area there that like a like a mausoleum it, or like something. A, yeah, yeah, like like a mausoleum there. And then the inter- eternal flame for Kennedy is like, I don't know, maybe yep. 500 yards to the right over there. Yep. And then. It's cool. So we had that fiasco with the Bay of Pigs, and then that Soviets got upset, escalated, and then he's the one that made the decision to uh, remove the president of Vietnam, which kicked off the Vietnam War. And the Soviets at the time were already upset about the. Uh, it, what is the what does North Korea call those provocations? Uh, so there are some provocations made on in Cuba. They got upset, sent um, advisors, quote unquote, advisors to Vietnam. Next thing you know, we get into a gunfight, and Vietnam War is on, and uh, it just kind of escalated from there. It was like one decision turned into another bad decision, and then I, I mean, I. I am a believer that the government was just like, hey, man, you're not playing ball. You're not making – you're not seeing eye to eye with what we want to do. At the time, America was heavily invested in removing dictators and placing people in power that they want. And I don't I don't think Kennedy wanted, was wanting to play ball with that. He Kennedy was about America. He wanted to focus – like the whole don't ask you know what you can do for your country but what you're what, – or what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. That's the mentality of him. He's like, what can we do for ourselves to, to make ourselves better? And uh, government... Isn't it tragic? Yep. They, I mean, it's they just, killed them. It, it, it's tragic. Yep. So that's a very famous conspiracy theory. So we're going to go over another extremely famous conspiracy theory. But wait, there's more. Oh, oh no, yeah, yeah. Ahead. There's always more. <laughs> okay. I know you've heard this one if you follow any conspiracy theory. And so let me just explain something real quick before we get into the next one. If you ever go on YouTube and look up like the conspiracy theory iceberg videos, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept, but if you haven't, just do a quick search on YouTube uh, after you listen to the podcast or or whatever. You can pause and go check it out. Um, But if you search for it, basically the way an iceberg video works is the idea is that the deeper an iceberg goes, the thinner and more special, like, you know, it, it tapers down and gets deeper and darker and, and, and more dangerous, right? So it's, it's like the idea of an iceberg is that on the surface level, you only see the most exposed and large part of the iceberg that most people see. And then as the iceberg progressively gets deeper, uh, the ideas get darker. They get deeper. They get uh, more hidden, more out of view. So that's the idea behind an iceberg video. If you haven't checked it out, there's some great conspiracy theory iceberg videos that go really far down the rabbit hole. The point of today's podcast, we are talking about stuff that is on the utmost layer above water. Like this is, these are famous and well known and well documented conspiracy theories, but know that they get really, really far 
down the rabbit hole. We're not going to have time to get into all of them. But the next one we're going to talk about is the Roswell crash and cover-up. And we'll kind of talk about Area 51. Probably one of the most famous American conspiracy theories is Roswell, aliens, Area 51, black projects, the scientists, you know, Mm -hmm. all this secret crap going on. So... Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It has an entire cult following around, you know, aliens and and Area Fifty One and what they're hiding, what they're working on, mm-hmm. and well, I mean, I, I think that if you believe that the world, I'm not going to say America, but the world got to the technological point that we're at right now without any help, I think that that would be. Um, a misrepresentation of our own brain power. And I say that because if you think about this, all right, crash landing in Roswell, right? Alien craft, unknown, you know, metallurgy, unknown propulsion systems at the time. How is it that the only spacecraft that crashed in, in the world that was able you were able to recover happened in America, right? Okay. I understand. Now, fast forward 10 years. America's breaking the sound barrier. Only country to do so. Take it to take it a step further. Skunk works. America has the SR71 Blackbird or the A12 Oxcart for the CIA. Mach 3.2. Only country in the world to have this technology. Only country in the world to recover a spacecraft from outside of, you know, the Earth. We're literally flying over other countries, waving at them, laughing, and they're trying to shoot us down. And we're like, see ya, just hauling ass, three, Mach 3.2. It, it, it is just, I can't say that's a coincidence. It is a little bit too perfect to certainly see the amount of advancements technology-wise that mm-hmm. human mankind has made in such a tiny window of our whole existence yeah. look how much we have we have learned and what we have have done technologically and look how that technological advancement coincides perfectly with the alleged Roswell crash so it's like whereby the government here's the idea whereby the government could sit by and say oh that's bull crap we didn't recover a spacecraft you can't hide what you learn from it yeah like microwaves and you know supercomputers in the palm of your hand and and gps and and like how do we know that all these technologies didn't somehow you know find their way from that type of stuff now again that is a conspiracy theory within a conspiracy theory and you'll find that especially when you look at iceberg videos is that these conspiracy theories all have their little branches you know you'll have a conspiracy theory that sort of gives way to another one and then they all stack upon each other and, and after a while you kind of go wow this is just a roller coaster of ideas and after you know it's it's kind of hard to connect all the dots after a while um i really suggest if you haven't seen this interview you need to check it out uh, mr bob lazar oh all right man. the bob lazar Legend. interview you have to check out the bob lazar interview he went on with joe rogan it's completely epic and when you're listening to this guy talk about you know some of the things that he saw, you know, allegedly saw, inside of Area 51 as a scientist working in Area 51 and some of the things that he was exposed to, it's like if someone's full of crap, if they're, you know, lying or if they're being, you know, not being genuine or something like that, it's like after a while we, we kind of, you know, we figure these things out. You, you talk to anyone long enough, and you're going to be able to figure out, okay, this person's a fraud. They're a shyster. They're full of crap, right? And Joe Rogan is so good at, like, you know, interviewing people. Like, he's he's good about, like, making you feel this big but being respectful about it. Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. tell me about that. Like, he'll he'll ask the hard questions. And, look, Joe Rogan was not exactly easy on Bob Lazar. Like, he asked a lot of hard mm-hmm. questions, and he asked a lot of questions that many of us would, would really want to know, right? And like, and throughout this entire interview, you just get this, this 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 creeping sort of gut feeling when you're listening to Bob Lazar talk. That not only is everything he's saying absolutely 110 percent true, but genuine and mm-hmm. and and articulated, and and well articulated and 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 scientific and and engineering lingo. Like you're hearing a scientist talk, you're hearing an engineer talk, like. 
you're not just hearing some freaking, you know, UFO shyster talk. Right. Like well, this guy, you, unless he's just really well, you know, rehearsed with his story, it's pretty damn believable. It is. And I think that he touched on two things that make it, make you come to the conclusion that it's believable was one that he mentioned that Joe mentioned was that his story never changed. It never deviated. If you ask him something, it was the same answer you're going to get that he gave you 10 years ago because he's speaking from his own memory. Two was that he had intimate knowledge of the layout of where he worked at area 51. I mean, if you talk to a guy that's so a great example of this is if you watch, um, uh, the Navy, the, the guy that busts the Navy SEALs, you know, uh, I forget his name, but he's like the, the guy that all the guys that fake Navy SEALs, he calls them up and he, he busts them and he usually gets them on one question. Hey, walk me through the, walk me through Bud's entrance. So if you're standing in front of the doors at Bud's, which way do I go? Tell me, do I go left? Do I go right? Where's the bell that you ring? And these guys are, they don't know because they've never been there. That's like, and, but if you ask Bob Lazar, Hey, walk me through your workstation. Where's everything at? He can tell you, turn left at this corridor, Mm -hmm. open this door. This is where this is at. Like you only get that by physically being there and working there on a daily basis and knowing where you're going. And it just, you can't fake that. And You'd be surprised how, like, even the most simple question can stump someone that just mm-hmm. doesn't, literally just doesn't know. Yeah. Like, if I'm ever out in public, and, like, you look at someone as, like, a stolen valor type, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see someone in uniform, and, like, come on, dude, you know. <laughs> you look at it, yeah, and, like, man. you know, the insignia ain't in the right place. Yep. They're wearing a beret all effed up looking. Their hair ain't cut right. Their face ain't shaved. You know, Everything is not like all the the insignia is not like on a proper gig line. Like it ain't right. Name tag ain't in the right location. Combat patch is on the wrong location or even the wrong shoulder. You know, just things like that. Little details that if you know, you know. Right. right? And what I do is I'll walk up and be like, what's your first general order? Like just Mm -hmm. everybody knows that. So, I mean, that. If it's an army uniform. Right. Everybody knows that. But you can see that there's some things that are out of place on their uniform, like ribbons that aren't supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah. Like their their uh, qualification badges. They got like a freaking ladder on the qualification badge. I'm like, nobody wears the ladder, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don Shipley is the name of the guy. Phony Navy SEAL. of the. He's a very well-known... I think he's like... He busts him. I think he started the, the Navy SEALs or something like that. I, but... It's just hilarious to see him walk people through this oh, trap yeah. of like, so uh, just tell me where you go. If I'm day one buds and I'm reporting, where do I go? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah. uh. <laughs> hey, what's your first general order? Yeah. And they look at you like, what? Uh, third general order? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's just it's just simple, simple soldier, soldiering. Like, everyone knows that. What's your first general order? Uh, I believe it is something about not leaving your post till properly relieved. I will guard everything within the limits of my post, and I will quit my yes. post only when properly relieved. I was close, but if I gave you that, you would say, "All right." I'd man. be like, "Okay, okay. You pogey." I mean, I've been I've been out for like twenty years. I'll give it to you. But in my defense, I did get it. So you did we'll get it. Give it. You, to you me. would pass the test. I'd be like, "All right, boot." Yeah, I, but I could have cheated and looked it up on the phone, but I didn't. I was like, "All right, let's see how this goes." Well, to be fair, I don't remember two and three, so it's <laughs> like, "Hey, I'll I'll sit here until you come find me." All right, That's I'll right. be here. All right, bring me bring me a bring me a, a pot of coffee and some honey buns and some and shoe give polish. me some guns and ammo, <laughs> and and I'll stay here until you come back and get me. Just right. make sure I have a cot and somewhere to take a pee and we're good you I just, know i just want the shoe polish i'll just polish that's right. the boots, yeah, it's the polish. <laughs> I, I remember those days like yeah. firewatch yes man i would always shine my boots during that's firewatch. all that's when you did it you just just polishing the boots during firewatch that's man. been a while man <laughs> yeah. sand hill yep fort benning bravo 219 i believe it was that was bravo 150 yeah 219. that's a bravo 150 was the was the training Battalion, I guess the battalions or companies. That's a company, company level. But that's that one, the the, the one barracks that's like right near the uh, the train tracks. Ah. So every time the train would come through, they'd be like, 
anybody want to quit? And they'd be like, go catch the train. You can just ride the train on out. It's like, crazy that we can still remember those like the, those training yeah. regiments from like 20 years ago. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because I up. remember the tree of woe. Yeah. The tree of woe. It was like this just twisted, ugly tree like 400 yards out. And they'd, they'd always be like, tree of woe, go. And like, oh, run. Jesus. And you run down there, yeah. run around it, come back. But the tree of woe was like almost – at the train tracks. So one of the drill sergeants would always be down at the tree. And of course, he's like, just a few hundred more yards and you could be on the train, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> just and quit. Trying to, you know, trying to get you to quit. Yeah. I anyway. think that, I think that, you know, Bob Lazar is, I wish more people would come forward um, like Bob Lazar. I know there's a lot more people out there that have that knowledge. But when you start looking at like the conspiracy, I'm surprised nobody has really dug deep into it because now we have, I know we were talking about the Roswell crash landing. So we all know like, hey, something happened. Cause yeah, we, that, that kind of led to yeah, what, yeah. Area 51. Because became. we, you know, we've been on this earth, on this journey around the sun for, you know, 10,000 10, years. There's Neanderthals, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. But for some reason, something happened in the last 200 years that propelled mankind to be the smartest and brightest and most technologically advanced that we've ever been in the entire existence of mankind. I would say that happened with outside forces. Now, let's take it a step further. And if you look at what's going on with the, if you guys look up Tic Tac, so T-I-C-T-A-C the Tic Tac UFOs. These are recordings that um, Navy pilots have on their pods with their fighter jets. The USS Nimitz has video footage of these UFOs and they're just doing extraordinary things. They're accelerating like out of sight in a mere second. They're dropping in altitude underwater and then disappearing. And this is all footage that is public domain you can go and look at it recorded on government cameras and people i mean joe joe Rogan has had the pilot that filmed a lot of this um and it's just really interesting that people are not in now that now that the government has acknowledged it like oh yes there are ufos now all of a sudden nobody's really interested in it but it, it, yeah. i'm interested because think about all of the uh technological advances that we can make on that especially with like interstellar travel like that was the, that's the one thing that we have not been able to actually do because it takes so long to get out there is to break into interstellar space we don't have the propulsion systems to get out there yet um it's and, fascinating yeah and i think that what we get pigeonholed into the idea of when it comes to space travel extraterrestrial life intelligent life on other planets and things like this. Um, this is something I really, I care about. I love this kind of stuff. I love this discussion, but what the, the, the problem that we get pigeonholed into is that we know what we know and we're trapped by what we know, but we don't think about all the things we don't know about the world around us. Like we know a lot less than what is really out there in terms of the holistic knowledge of the universe. If we talked about, you know, different planes of existence or different energy sources or different um, laws of physics or laws of reality that maybe we don't understand or grasp the concept of yet. So it's like we're still dealing with a primate brain trying to deal with a situation logically that might even be outside the scope of, of human understanding. All right. And, and I think that that's the best way to look at, you know, this giant universe around us of ideas we don't understand, of forces we don't understand, of energy sources, of propulsion methods, communication methods. I mean, there's all these things that are likely out there that we have to assume exist that we don't know about, that we haven't discovered, right? I mean, think about the laws of physics. Think about physics, right? You know, we we abide by this, these accepted laws that this is the way the world around us works, like gravity does this, you know, these forces do this, right? The laws of physics, pretty simple. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but it's just <laughs> logically you look at, okay, we define these laws, we define these rules, and we, we say that, okay, we cannot break these rules, and we determine that, that, that that's the case. 
But how do we know what the rules of the road really are in places that aren't us? Like, we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. Right. And it's more important to acknowledge the things that we don't know about. You know, you get into the Fermi paradox. Where the, you know, where are they? Why haven't they found us yet? Why don't we know about them? I mean, it. There is um, a novel. I'm going to look it up in a minute. It's called, I think, The Dark Forest, and it deals in the idea that you know hell is other people, right? So if you don't know if the, these aliens are friendly or if they're not. Well, then what's the best absolute way to ensure that you don't have to find out if they're dangerous or not to simply not make your presence known to them? Right. So Dark Forest and it's a, it's a collection of novels. I'll, I'll put it down in the description box below because we're, we're getting kind of close on time here. But it's a collection of novels uh, written by um, a Chinese author. It's, it's fantastic. Right. And it deals with the idea that they purposely are staying hidden. Uh, from us because you know what you you don't know they don't know who we are what we're capable of i mean obviously if you're flying by in a spaceship you roll the window up and go mm -hmm. you, you see signs of, i mean obviously at night you're going to see that lit up like you you know that there's some intelligent life there it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out hey that planet's inhabited okay right uh, the, the signs are there i mean they see the satellites they see international space station i mean like they're not dumb so maybe they're smart enough to realize how we we know the the we know the the way that things shake down in the holistic universe like you know if we're talking a space-faring species that has traveled to you know interstellar space and gone to different space systems and different exoplanets that are like ours and let's say that the conditions for life and the conditions for them existing are very similar to ours. Like they need oxygen and they need a very specific set of Goldilocks circumstances to live just like we do. Let's just assume that that's the limited way that we can all survive as, as let's just say, whoever we are, whether they're aliens or whatever, right? And if they are able to travel to these different places, how do we know that they haven't discovered enough of these places and realized, holy crap, everywhere we go, people just want to kill each other. People just want to destroy each other. And the end result of all species of intelligent beings is that they will inevitably all destroy each other if given enough time. Well, so what is the best risk assessment if you're that alien? Stay away. To simply stay away. Well, I mean, the, as, as a world, as I'm not going to say as a country or as a nation, but as a world, that is our track record of we want more. Whatever it is, right. we want more. Like land, wars. Like we want more land, we go to war. We want more resources, we go to war. Think about something as simple as you see, let's just say you're, you know, you see an insect that you don't know if it's dangerous or not. Kill it anyways. You're not sure. You know, you see- Or stay uh, away from it. Well, human, human reaction is to kill it. When you see a spider- that most spiders are non-venomous, but most people kill them anyway. So well, ah, we have kill to it. assume that if a if that if a, a species is spacefaring and intelligent enough to have, let's just say, faster than light travel or interstellar travel in some capacity, maybe we don't have an understanding for yet. Wormholes or but we what want the heck it. you want to say, right? We, we want it. We're going to kill them. We're right. going to take it. But how do we how do we know that? You know, all right. If they are that capable, then why haven't they just come and wiped us out? So that's the other the other mm -hmm. end of that question would be okay what what this author poses in in these novels is yes they're staying away because they don't want to run the risk of us destroying each, us destroying them but I but I pose the question on the other end of it is if there is the possibility of aliens um traveling all these different worlds why haven't they just come and wiped us out yet if they're capable of such high levels of technology and we're not and they know we're not what are they waiting on it's a very fair question. We I still have a lot of resources. And how do we know that this planet is not steeped in some resource that they need that we haven't even discovered yet, that we don't know it exists? Maybe they're like, oh, wow, there's, I don't know, whatever. Well, I mean, we have water, which is like, you know, 70, 80% of the world covered, mm -hmm. covered in the most precious resource in the universe. I mean, we spend all this time wondering about the cosmos, and yet look how much of our, our ocean is unexplored. 
Mm-hmm. So there's mysteries that we have right under our nose. And uh, I think that's a great way to end today's podcast is that conspiracy theories are kind of steeped in mystery, the unknown, the unproven, sometimes the uber proven. So they can go in a lot of different directions. And I know we didn't really dive into a ton of conspiracy theories in this particular podcast, but I wanted to touch on some of those common ones to kind of mm-hmm. give us some talking points to break some of these things down. I think it's it's always fun to have a thought experiment. And yeah. that is, if it's one thing that conspiracy theories do for us, is that they invoke thought. They invoke thinking. They invoke a feeling of, you know what? What if it is true? We should find out. Well, that's the greatest thought experiment of all, is can you change your own beliefs? And that and that's what we did. We went down the rabbit hole. And I don't think it was about talking about as many cons- specific conspiracy theories as we can. It was just talking about the idea of conspiracy theories and you know some of the more popular ones. What they that, make us feel. Yeah. What, what they make us challenge. What they make us, you know, try to refute our own logic. And I think that's that's the powerful thing about them. Yep, absolutely. And that's why I'll always be a fan of them because it's just so, so interesting to challenge your mm-hmm. your way of thought. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. That's true, man. I really appreciate everybody tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thanks so much. I hope everyone has a great week. Again, go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a snazzy new T-shirt. That's one way you can support our efforts directly uh, if you wish to do so. Thanks so much. Many, many, many more podcasts on the way. I apologize. Sometimes we have some gaps in coverage because we're really busy, but I really enjoy the podcast, and I had a lot of fun with today's podcast. I'm glad we we really dove down an interesting rabbit hole. Yes, it's something we don't get to talk about often. I enjoyed it. I really did. Y'all have a great week. Many more on the way. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.